Well, good evening and good morning and good whatever part of the day that you are hanging out with us because we are the fan correspondents and this is a little show we like to do called the Star Wars EU or EU Review and I am joined as always by my constant friend and brother in the force. We have Jacob Vance Hardesty. Jacob, how are you? I am doing very well. I'm so excited to get back to... uh some more Star Wars talk this year and uh, year two. Um, I do want to go ahead and take the uh, opportunity to thank everyone for the continued support from the first year. Um, the first year was great. I had such a fun time talking about all the Star Wars stuff with Al and other guests that we had. And uh, we've got a great second year plan for you all already. And we're, we're ready to get right to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as Jacob has pointed out uh, both um, who I am, I'm Al. Um, here on Fandom Correspondence. And also, we've been doing this just crazy, wild and out there show for a whole damn nah. year. Woo! Whole damn year. Uh, we're in year two now. Um, and I want to echo Jacob real quick. Uh, thank you, everybody who just like hangs out with us and listens to the show, um, especially if you leave like any feedback or, or comments or anything like that um, on Instagram and social media, because we really appreciate it. Uh, we do this. At the end of the day, we do this to have fun, and it's like always um, even more fun than it already is whenever there's other people um, kind of interacting with it and engaging with us about it. So so that's what it's all about, y'all. Um, and we are not stopping. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going for year two. We got a whole bunch of content planned for you. But first, let's kick off the year by t- taking a look back. At how we started this whole Star Wars EU or EU shindig. Because we are reading the sequel book to the very first book that was ever featured on this show. Mm. Um, so we are reading Star Wars High Republic, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. The sequel to um, Charles Soule's uh, The Light of the Jedi, which kicked off the whole High Republic, um, a brand new wave if you will of the star wars um his new canon um so for anybody um who needs a refresher high republic um especially this phase one of the high republic stuff um this is taking place uh, around about like 180 200 years before the events of the films of like any of the films um so uh we're going back a bit high republic the jedi order is like large it's strong it's um still just as problematic as ever but um it's that kind of <laughs> it's that kind of a high point um as far as its organization and as, as far as its reputation goes and as we learned in the last book um the jedi are kind of facing down an interesting kind of unique threat here in um the galaxy um, this group of, of apparently like kind of just kind of like anarchists um, and marauders called the Nihil, um, led by um, three leaders um, of the Nihil called the Tempest Runners. And those um, are also led into hyperspace by a mysterious new um, secret paths through hyperspace um, lanes. Um, led by um, one man called Arshan Rowe. That is the pronunciation we're going with. 
Um, at this point, I don't really care if it's wrong because these are books that don't have any pronunciation guides. Um, so, so when we last left um, our Jedi Order, uh, actually, uh, Jacob, I'll pass this off to you. What is kind of heading us up um, as we dive into this adventure in um, the Rising Storm? What's going on with us? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, one of the things that was really interesting about the first book is how it showcased the different, the different things that the Jedi have to do. It's not always just, we are fighting the Sith, you know, we are, we are the sworn enemies. No, it's, they are defenders of the peace. And so of course, within the first book, they are technically stopping something that the Nihil has started, but they don't even know what that, they don't even know about the Nihil existing just yet until right towards the end of the book, when they see these people that they basically assume are just like space pirates for lack of a better term. Um, And, you know, they don't, they know that they are just kind of, like you said, an anarchistic group. They're just kind of acting out. Um, But this book is when they realize exactly what kind of force they are dealing with. Um, We of course get a few different uh, point of view chapters from the, from inside the ranks of the Nile. So we do get to kind of see, see their inner workings and see really just how effective they're going to be if the uh, Republic doesn't really get together and if the Jedi don't come together to stop them. But uh, at the start of this book, but of course at the start of this book, everything is leading towards the Republic fair. That's where everything is really focusing on that. And it is supposed to be a, an extravagance for the entire galaxy to come together and really just kind of, Focus on unifying the Republic as one. And uh, the rest of the story just kind of takes off from there. Mm, it does indeed. It does indeed. Um, yeah, for um, uh, for timeline sake, for continuity's sake, um, this is officially taking place um, one year after the events of the Light of the Jedi. So we're about... Um, a year removed from um, the grand reveal of the High Hill. Um, and it's really interesting to me that um, for this phase of the High Republic, um, that, as you said, this this primary antagonist isn't really, um, t- does it really have anything to do with um, what a lot of people probably think about when it comes to like who the Jedi are and what they do. Um, they aren't the Sith. They don't uh, really have use of the Force um, in any uh, huge or traditional capacity. Um, they don't fight with lightsabers. In fact, there's a part um, early on in the book where a couple Jedi um, are sparring um, for uh, what's essentially a news camera um, who's highlighting various parts of the Republic. And um, they clarify that, you know, we don't really, like, uh, actually fight lightsabers anymore. We use them, um, of course, to defend ourselves and to deflect blaster bolts and things like that. But, like, there aren't really anybody um, around anymore except for us who use lightsabers. So it's more so just like a way to kind of um, keep in practice and preserve the history of it. 
Um, which of course is kind of a far cry that we've come to expect with Star Wars stuff. When you go see a Star Wars movie, often you expect to see some kind of lightsaber duel happening. And so I think that uh, just that small tidbit from the book kind of goes a long way towards um, emphasizing the fact that uh, this isn't a traditional threat and that um, there's a lot more to the eye hill than what meets the eye at first, because we do get a lot more information on what the night hill are about, what Arshon Rowe has going on. And uh, that is actually where I would like to start, because there's a lot of characters in this book, um, some we've seen already, some we haven't. So uh, before we get into all of the characters of the Jedi, um, I do want to talk about um, the I held him Harshan Rowe a bit in this one because this is a book where the Arshan Rowe chapters change considerably um, depending if you're reading this stuff for the first time versus if you're kind of revisiting it. Uh, Jacob and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording. But, um, Jacob, what kind of stuff is kind of going on with Arshan Rowe? What's he up to as we begin our adventure? So, I uh, first and foremost, I do have to apologize because I read this and the third book, The, the Fallen Star, um, within, I would say, two weeks of each other. Um, so I have I have we already talked about this before the podcast. I have gotten both of these movie or movies that that's how epic they are. Both of these um, books confused with yeah one day yes pl- please please I, I want this on film. Um, so please forgive me if I if I am referencing something from the third book and please let me know if I am Al because I don't spoil anything. Um, so of course the main thing with with Roe is that. He it's kind of interesting because although I, I mentioned it in our in the very first EU or EU review podcast, where there is never a point where there's never a point where I think Marshawn Rowe does not have a plan. There's never a point where I think that he is, you know, drawing the short end of the stick. Um I will always assume that he that, uh, un, until that man is dead, until something happens, I will always see him as a threat, um, because it's because it it's he reminds me. It's funny, um, reading reading more of it now and, and rewatching Rebels uh, right now as I am. Uh, he reminds me some of Thrawn in that sense, where he is just so good at what he does. Um, and he he is so he has such a strategic mind that that's how he's going to beat pretty much anyone. Um, so at the start of this one, what is interesting though is that you kind of get this sense that if if certain things go wrong, like if if what happens in this book does not happen, he will be ousted as the eye of the Nile. That is at least the way that I take it from the very early chapters. Um, because the, of course, the entire thing is that he is the only one who knows how to use the paths. And for those of you who are unfamiliar or have forgotten about um, the description of the paths, the paths themselves are the ability to travel through hyperspace lanes, as Al had mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, so they can literally break up hyperspace lanes like entirely, um, which is terrifying. 
Um, but it also means that they can travel so much faster and, and, and weird ways that no one has seen before. Um, and only only uh, the Rose, the Rowe family, are the only ones who have access to this because they found this woman who basically is is able to see the past this way. Like, she's able to, like, see them or something. It's, it's kind of weird how it's described. But basically, she is able to tell them where they, ne- where they need to go and how fast they need to go and so on and so forth. Um, that is a very brief summary of a very complicated and interesting um, mechanic that they have brought into this storyline. So please, if, if Charles soul or Kevin Scott or any, any of the other writers ever hear, ever hear me talk about this, please excuse me. Um, but, um, but between that and between the fact that you have Lorna D pan Ida and the one that's in the mech, the little guy. I can't remember the third one's name. Um. Oh shoot! I want to say Zetar. Is, is I, th- I think you're right. Well, no, we'll no, go no. with Zetar. We'll 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 roll with that, even even if it isn't. Um. Because I th- I think you because I know there is a Zetar, and I think you're right. Um. So you get this sense that the three of them at any point would and could attempt a coup, a coup like that's kind of their whole thing is that everything is on a very tentative um is on the edge of a knife really on the especially with the higher ups in the nile um and so you do get that sense that at any point they could try something but once again there's never really a point where you don't think Rose is going to come out on top at the end of this um and so that's kind of where he's at, just that he is he is working on something that is going to he is working on something that's going to change the entire face of the galaxy um, because effectively he is working on something that is going to. We'll go with decimate the Jedi. Mm. Um, because the thing is, is that you you think the 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 Yasomari, which we discussed uh, last month, or technically this month, but still on the last episode, um, which stopped the Jedi from being able to use the Force, is the most terrifying thing that you're going to see. You are wrong. Um, you are very, very wrong. Um, because what we see at the end of this book, which we'll talk a little bit more about, I'm certain we will talk about the the last like five pages of this book change everything. Um. What we see then is um, something completely different, and it is something that is truly terrifying and sets up the third book very, very well. But that's kind of where Roe is, is he is – he – we don't really know – or help me out, Al, because I can't really remember. Do we know why he hates the Republic so much yet? We do not, know. So – um uh, that 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 was that was my big question. Like I, I was trying to rack my brain. I was like, I have read all three of these books and all the uh, current all the comics from Phase One, and I was like, I don't know why Marshawn Rowe hates the Republic yet. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's very interesting. They do something with Marshawn Rowe um, in this book that your first time through reading it is kind of irritating because they do the thing that um, a lot of people do in storytelling when they're 
uh, when they're trying to write an interesting villain in that um, they, um, they give him a lot of intrigue, they give him a lot of, of unclear motivations, they very much shroud him in history as far as to what his plan is, as far as to what all he's trying to accomplish. Because it's it's at this point in the trilogy, um, in this High Republic trilogy of books, that Harshon Rowe begins to really start to transform from somebody who is the leader of the High Hill into somebody who is a villain in and of himself and is just trying to use the High Hill to accomplish his goals. We saw a little bit of that in Light of the Jedi, but here we see it a lot more because um, the first time we see um, Arshan Rowe rejoin the High Hill, this huge galaxy-spanning organization he's supposed to be the leader of, um, you're like 10 chapters into the book because um, the entire first part of the book, Roe is like what seems to be just kind of elevating off on some <laughs> weird outer rim world with like one of his new friends and this like other woman who you like don't know what her deal is and like you kind of hope that you do because it seems like she has a different kind of relationship with Roe than any of the Nihil do and then oh no after like the next like <laughs> after the next three chapters like everybody's dead except for Marshawn Roe and you don't know why and you don't know what happened yeah. um, and it kind of does this thing where it creates a lot of intrigue without offering like any answers whatsoever it's not quite to the point that I would compare it to like um, the brand chapters in like a feast for crows. <laughs> it's not that bad, but as far as Arshon Rose stuff goes, um, it starts off like a little bit frustrating at times because it's just kind of like, okay, it seems like he's going to do, seems like he has a plan. He's going to like this, weird planet with an old temple they're using a lot of like religious imagery and references here this is going to be kind of interesting is it like a new religion is it like actually a sith kind of thing um and oh nope a weird thing happens and everyone is dead except for marshall <laughs> like that and then he goes back to the night hill and doesn't tell anybody about anything <laughs> you're just kind of like okay <laughs> kind of wish i had gotten some more information from that but I will say that this book does kind of begin his character arc to where he is a lot more interesting. And some of that added intrigue um, does work positively in that um, you start to question, you know, okay, it seems like he's trying to be more independent and see, it seems like he's trying to use the I Hill as a means to an end. Um, and then you start thinking, well, you know, how is, he gonna like be successful at all with that plan because it's like this one dude who does not have any force powers again he's not a sith he, he's not a jedi he he seems to just be a dude who knows a lot of stuff how is he going to to, to successfully 
manipulate this entire huge throng of anarchists um, into doing what he wants them to do. And so as far as that goes, um, uh, uh, this book does honestly go a long way towards kind of building him up like that, in my opinion. Now, I will say, um, for anybody who uh, has read ahead and is in phase two of High Republic stuff, um, Path of Deceit, which is the first phase uh, phase two book, goes a long way towards explaining what the hell Marshawn Rowe is is trying to do in that first part of the book. Um, so that's really cool. It's really fun to kind of uh, read ahead and then revisit these stories a bit and see how they connect. Um, I won't go into any details or anything, of course, since those books are still like um, very new um, and recent. Um, I might need to spoil anything on that for uh, for anybody out there. But it does kind of yeah. add a bit more context. But um, um, but yeah, and then of course there's all of like the um, the plotting and like some of the infighting um, that happens among um, the leaders of the Nihil as well. And um, I looked it up, and we were right. Uh, the new Nihil's name is Zetar. Nice. So there you go. Um, that's good stuff. But um, yeah, now um. Having talked about kind of the um, antagonistic forces at play um, in this book, now we can get to what the bulk of this is about, which is about the um, something I've I've come to term um, the Jedi and the non-Jedi who love them. Um, <laughs> because it's pretty much what this book is about. Um, so we have um, whole cast of characters, some of them um, recurring for The Light of the Jedi, some of them being introduced now. I know there are a couple in this book who weren't in Light of the Jedi, but were in a couple of the YA books um, that came before this one. Mm. I have not read those, so for me, these were like brand new characters I was reading about. Uh, sure. Just as a heads up to give that kind of context out to out to everybody. Um, but um, I would say the main Jedi characters kind of focused on here um, are are a boy. Um, how was that a far? Helps our man and Helen Eos who I kind of lump um, together, honestly, because if there were if there are two main characters of the book, I would say it's them too. Um, and then we get um, a lot of um, Indira Stokes as well in this. But, um, um, and then uh, various side Jedi as well. Um, so, Jacob, I'll throw this over to you. The backdrop is that a Republic fair is happening, Sure. A whole bunch of Jedi are showing up. Um, yep. um, the Galactic Republic Chancellor So is trying to um, is trying to organize this fair, um, inspire people, show them the strength and the progress of the New Republic, um, um, increase unity across the Republic against the Night Hill, all that good stuff. All these things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob, in your opinion, um, what do you think 
Like, do you think the Jedi are very well utilized in the context of this book? Not just as far as like when tragedy strikes and things are going like that. Uh, because we talked about in Light of the Jedi how it was kind of showing that this is where the Jedi Order is at and it's kind of a golden age for Jedi um, and things like that. And then what struck me about this was that it's like a golden age, it's a high point for the Jedi Council, and they are sending like over half of their Jedi Order to go stand around at this Republic Fair. What do you think about the setup for these things? What do you think about the implications of the role that the Jedi are playing in the Republic at this time? Because to me, it felt very strange, and I'm curious if it was kind of... Um, if it kind of hit you the same way. Yeah. So I was, so I was going to ask when you were at, like, as you meant that I was, I was like, do you mean like writing wise? Cause I think the writing's fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, you are, you are not wrong. I think it's, <clears throat> so the interesting thing, and it's, it's funny because you see this repeated in the prequels, um, or at least in the, in the prequel time period. Um, as, as a lot of people have really more so discussed, you know, with the different books and the Clone Wars and everything else that's come out since then. Um, excuse me. And even in the way that Luke talks about the Jedi Order in The Last Jedi. Yes, mentioning The Last Jedi, I don't care. Um, the interesting <laughs> concept. It has been zero days since Jacob has brought up the last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> the the interesting concept that he mentions is that the Jedi, more often than not, when you look at their when you look at the track record of the Jedi, a lot of times it is the Jedi basically win because of the because of the balance of the Force. Okay, and then. The Jedi get complacent, something happens, a lot of Jedi and a lot of the galaxy dies, and then the Jedi have to rebuild and figure out how to fix what has happened. Mm. That, you can you can go even to the older public, canon or otherwise, you can look at some of the things that have happened in the past and basically follow that same cycle. Um, the, the higher public is no different. The, th- the the fact of the matter is that at the start of the higher public, you know, the Jedi are they are more of defenders and protectors of the peace and everything. But at the same time, it is in for a lot of them, their thought processes as well. If we are going to have delegates and people from literally the entirety of the galaxy coming to this one planet it probably would make sense if a good portion of our, of our forces were here. And what's interesting about that though, is like, while that's happening, if you read the comics and it's why she's not, it's why she's hardly in this book. And it's actually, to me, it's a detriment because I love Avar Chris. Um, But why she's hardly in this book is because Avar Chris and, um, Oh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, Keeve Trennis and a couple other different Jedi are off in the distance fighting what are called the Dringir, which is this like 
for lack of a better term, this uh, actually no, not lack of a better term, Little Shop of Horrors. It's literally the the plant from Little Shop of Horrors, only in like a galactic setup. Um, it's actually in this book in a small part. Yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> I said it's actually um in this book um in a small part. That's, it is. Yeah. That's where we find um. That's where we find um Ty. Yes, Ty, Ty York. Yep. Um, <clears throat> while they are kind of dealing with that, they basically put everyone else at the fair, which has some varying degrees of, of success. Um, because unfortunately, once they get to the fair, they all just want to kind of party. Um, uh, Elzar Man, especially. Am I right? <laughs> Elzar but, Man. I never thought. I would say this about a Jedi who is not Keanu Mundi, but like Elzar Man is just a he's just a horn dog man. He cannot he cannot <laughs> stay away. He is, but you know, I mean, I don't know. It's see that that aspect was intriguing to me. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie because it is because it's a moment where we see. Similarly, the things that happened to Anakin, only as opposed to Anakin, for lack of a better term, you know, and I know this is a horrible, horrible understatement of things that happened to him, but for lack of a better term, basically losing his mind because he cannot fathom both aspects of what he wants in his life. Um, With this, we see it's more so it's interesting to me because with this, we see. Uh, Elzar Man is such an interesting character to me, but with this, we see the aspects where he is attempting to live the life of a Jedi while also attempting to follow through on the things that he wants in his personal life. Um, Of course, at the end of the first book, he, he simultaneously, he, like he, he wants to have a life with Avar Chris. He wants to, he wants to love her. Um, And then he has this, when she basically rejects him and uh, it's just kind of like, you know, we need to focus on basically being Jedi and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that's when he has this horrible vision of things that are going to happen. Um, he doesn't know what they are. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen, but he has these horrible visions. And um, that's really where his journey. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get off on just talking about Elzar man, but I, I figured that was, that was a natural progression. Um, okay. But yeah, <laughs> but um, that's kind of his journey at this point is he is trying to figure out how to maintain his life as a Jedi and how to maintain the things he wants while he also knows that these horrible things are going to happen. And he wants to be the best that he can in every aspect. And so that's why. Really, the entire point of this book for him is him trying to make up, basically trying to trying to be the best Jedi that he can, and to basically fix everything that's happening at Valo, um, and everything that happens on Valo. Um, of course, that leads to various different things that we will we will probably talk about here in a little bit. I, I mean, unless you you want me to go ahead into his his story in this. Um, no, no, it's okay. Um, yeah. Um, I did want to ask you about that though, just because like it did strike me and like, it still struck me as I was like reviewing, uh, this book 
for the second time. Um, like, it's just, obviously, it kind of is unfair to beg the hypothetical question that goes contrary to everything that's in the book. However, like, just, just imagine, like, you have, obviously, like, in a large part of the galaxy at this point, the Jedi are very um, highly revered. They're very popular, right? They were like the heroes of Hetzel, um, all that good stuff. But uh, very early on in this book, actually, it points out that not everybody in the Republic are fans of the Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. And that extends to people like uh, within like the Senate. Um, and the advisory bodies and things like that. There are people who very much um, do question um, how how much power the Jedi should have, how much th- um, the Republic and the Chancellor should rely on the Jedi and things like that. So that framework in mind, um, I couldn't help but keep thinking throughout the first like 10 or 12 chapters of the book. Um, and these chapters are like very, very short. By the way, a lot of them are like... I have just seven pages long, mm. but um, so they go very quickly. But like within the first like thirty to forty pages of the book, uh, both times I read it, I was very struck by just being like, "Man, what if a thing had happened? Like, what if, <laughs> mm. what if there was no attack on Velo, and like, and like the senators who are like." Who, who are either anti-Jedi or neutral towards the Jedi. They're <laughs> just kind of like, hey, do you guys just, like, hang out here? Like, do you guys, is there not, isn't there, like, a a giant, like, <laughs> insidious plant monster, like, ravaging the Outer Rim worlds that, like, <laughs> that you guys could be helping with? Because there's, like, a lot of you guys here. Like... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of you are are both of you masters like <laughs> maybe maybe one of you could have gone and and helped the drangir thing but um all that being said um um obviously it's a very good thing that all of them were there but that part did kind of strike me as odd both times i read it because um it was just like you know we are the protectors of the galaxy and um 70 percent of us are going to be at this fair where we don't really expect anything to go wrong in the first place, but but uh, that's okay. Um, no, you bring up a very good point about Eltar Man. Eltar Man, it's so interesting because if there is like, I kind of think of Eltar Man, um, Stellan, Eos, and Avar Chris as the as like the like. Justice League-esque kind of trinity of the sure. Jedi in the High Republic right now. Obviously, they aren't all, like, the the Grandmasters, like, um, Astro Yoda is and all that. Um, even though, at this point in time, like, Yoda's off having his own adventures as well. He um, is. But, um, but as far as the events of these three books, um, as well as the comics, like, these are the three characters at the forefront of what the Jedi are trying to do at this point, as far as their role in, in the Republic. And it's so interesting to me that each of those three characters are having their own struggles with their role as the, 
their role as Jedi, their role in this quickly like progressing and changing and growing Republic, uh, their relationships with each other and, and with other Jedi in the Order as well. And of the three, the struggle that Meltzar Man has is so much is so much more like in your face. It's so much more like extravagant. It feels like than the other ones do because of our Chris. You have her, and you're just like, okay, she's like trying to figure out um, the balance that she should strike in her power and and her influence within like the context of the Republic, and then. Helmingios is having a, um, a kind of s- similar thing, trying to deal with his fame from um, his heroics at Hetzel, his new place on the High Council, things like that. Um, and so we have that, and those are very serious and very legitimate struggles that they are experiencing and that they are trying to find truth about within the Force. Then you have Elsar Man. And Elsar Man's struggles are like you are going to have like prophetic visions of everyone you know horribly dying. Um, you're going to have like a a prophet Jeremiah esque kind of experience where you're going to like drown yourself almost in in passionate pleas for the force to tell you something, only for the force to tell you to go to the one place you don't want to go. Like you are going to like like tap in to the dark side to the point where you like shoot lightning at something. Yep. <laughs> and like um you're going to to get to Volo and like just like have a side piece just presented to you within your first two weeks. Like it's so much more like over enveloping than anybody else's struggle in these books. It's crazy. Um, which um, I think it goes a really interesting place at one point in this book because throughout the chaos, because like uh, these authors are great at just like piling on just as many chaotic things as possible. Um, in the midst of the chaos, Elzar comes face to face with a creature at the zoo, which, like, I don't know why. I don't like zoos in real life, and zoos, like, in the Star Wars world just, like, feel worse to me for some reason. (laughs) Um, But, like, comes face to face with this escaped creature from the Volo Zoo, which the description I picked up basically looks like um, a large, like um, a large Star Wars version of like the Pokemon Scyther. Mm, well, is what, yeah. is what I got from it. I don't yeah. know how accurate that is, but that's the creature that came to mind was Scyther from Pokemon. And so, Elsar Man has to like hype this thing. Um, and things like that. And, like, at one point, he's, like, riding a dragon-type creature, and he forms, like, a force couplet uh, with Tyoric, which, after everything I've said about what happens to Eltzar Man in this book, him forming the force couplet with an, up to this point, 
uh, just kind of like a gray horse user at this point who's like had some training but doesn't align on themselves with like the Jedi at all. And them exploring that in a time of chaos and crisis as a way to like save themselves and help other people. That to me was the most interesting part of what happens with Outside Man. Is that in the midst of all that crisis and all that personal and environmental chaos going on, that he is able to to still form a connection um, with this other character who like is not a traditional version of like I'm a Jedi hero at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part to me was really interesting. It may be explored more in other books, but I really wish we got like way more of that relationship um, in the main like trilogy of books. Mm-hmm. Um, because if my memory serves me right, we don't really get a whole lot more than that um, than that event um, in this book, which I think is such a shame because. Altar Man is having all of these issues that you see on the surface, and you're just like, oh, Altar Man is a horrible Jedi because look at all of the bullshit he's doing. But then he's able to, to, to connect in an untraditional way, in an untraditional environment with an untraditional hero on the scene. And in all that chaos, through that, you're able to explore, like, what is the parts of his character that do make him a great Jedi, mm. because his whole thing is exploring the Force in non-traditional and weird ways, and how that can be um, exactly what's uh, what some of lost people need. So... Um, I thought that was just a really cool part of Elzar's um, story in this book. And I really wish we got a lot more of it than what we did. Um, Did you enjoy that uh, part of his arc? Like, am I just kind of talking, like, out of my mind in, like, a weird... Not, not at all. Um, <laughs> no, the be- the best part of this book, and we'll, and we'll, I, I'm going to save it for my hypest moment. Um, but the uh, the best part of this book is Elzar and Ty York and their their connection. And let me tell you, this is this this is a book that has really interesting characters and really interesting characterizations. Um, this is really the first time we get to know Stellan Gios, in my opinion. He, you see him in the first one, but this is the first time we really get to know him. Um, but he doesn't become, in my opinion, he doesn't become, he doesn't become a truly great character until the third book. Um, <clears throat> that's when he really comes into his own, at least for me as a reader. Um, Bell Zedifar is just the B- Bell Zedifar is goaded. I don't care what anybody says. Just I mean, the, he he started strong. He's continuing strong. He's going to end strong. I mean, just I I I, I love him so much. Um, <clears throat> but Elzar was such an interesting character, really for for Kevin Scott to focus on so much in this, because you're not wrong. The he gets so much stuff just thrown at him. 
just constantly. And then, you know, he we we see his struggles and we see how he is torn in so many different areas. But when it comes down to it, the the very core of what it means to be a Jedi, the very core of what it means to be a light side force user, someone who is willing to connect with everything around them to, you know, the, the Yoda says luminous beings are we not this crude matter. You know, we, we are all connected by the force. In my opinion, when you are able to connect with someone to, to stop, to, to bring a situation to a, uh, to bring a situation to an end without violence or with the minimal amount of violence. That is the crux of being a Jedi. Now, granted, of course, you know, two chapters later, um, but it's, but at the very, you know, I talk about the, the violence aspect, but at the core of it, you know, trying to do your best and to focus on, <clears throat> And to focus on attempting to help the people around you and connect with the people when they need you the most. That is what the true core of who of what makes a Jedi. Um, I mean, hell, you could even you could even look at, you know, Luke's journey in Return of the Jedi as as that very core right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I, I loved that Elzar was able to connect with Ty. Uh, apparently, I've. I've recently I've heard that supposedly they form a force dyad, which um, is a which is a uh, a a triple a triple word score for anyone who was a Rise of Skywalker fan. Um, boy. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but um, but here's the thing: I I, th- I think even if that is true, if that is a factual thing, one they never actually I don't think they ever actually say the words in the book. Because I feel like I remember that, um, but uh, and I think Kevin Scott is smart to kind of steer clear from that and just make it more. See, see, for me, it's I don't know. For for me, when when it comes to stuff like both both the ideas of forced dyads and the of whatever that necessarily means, and also the ideas of can you be a great Jedi properly. Which, which I, I didn't think we were going to go too far into this and in, in this discussion, but here we are. Um, I will admit, I even as someone who is a massive fan of of Quinlan Voss, who was considered to be the first technical grade Jedi in in the in the story. Um, it has been zero days since Jacob <laughs> has talked about Quinlan Voss. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the last time I'll do it, I promise. No, 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 you're you're good. You're good. Um <laughs> but even even as someone who does love him and the idea of a great Jedi in general, in my opinion, doesn't actually work. Um because yeah, can can you draw on the dark side to to do certain things? Sure. We have seen Jedi be able to shoot force lightning, okay, which is very clearly a dark side ability. Okay. Um, we have seen multiple Jedi use force choke, which is presumably a dark side ability, but also could technically just be just a force ability in general. Um, oh boy, I could rant an entire episode about that point, but go on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, but the thing, but the fact of the matter is 
is that to me, what makes you a light side user versus a dark side user is, is this idea of a light side user is someone who is wanting to, to help those around them is wanting to, to guide, to guide the light of the entire galaxy as best they can. Um, a dark side user is someone who wants to use everyone around them, who is duplicitous, who constantly lies, um, who who just wants power. You know, they just want to rule over everything around them. So in my opinion, the thing is, is that when someone talks about a, a gray Jedi, when they talk about, you know, someone who is a, for example, in this, a light side user who is able to draw on the abilities of, of the dark side. If they, in my opinion, if they are still attempting to use that in the right way, although it might seem awful, at that point, that is still, if you're doing the wrong things for the right reasons, in my opinion, you're still a light side user. Elzar Man in this is a perfect example. I mean, when he uses force lightning to bring, because you're, you're, if I remember correctly, once again, it's been a minute since I've read this, I'm sorry, I I just kind of skimmed over before uh, the start of this. Elzar Man uses Force Lightning to bring down one of the uh, one of the ships that are attacking the fair. Correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, in my opinion, all right, if I'm a Jedi, and I am certain, and, and and at this point, I am already having trouble connecting to the Force as it is. Okay, because because we forgot because we forgot to mention that while all this shit is also excuse me while all this stuff is is, is going around Elzar Man as it is he's also having Amazing Spider Man fifty happen to him okay at the same time so which there's a reference um ooh, ooh. <laughs> so while all this stuff is happening if I am attempting to save as many people as I can okay and I really have no connections to anyone else except for me. Um, the girl I slept with last night who doesn't want to talk to me anymore, and this, uh, this crazy monster hunter who, although she is crazy, I'm, I'm trying to, for, uh, to forge a, 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 uh, a connection with her as best I can. If a ship is barreling down at me and I, and I'm just like, well, I might as well use force lightning. Okay. In my opinion, that does not make him a great Jedi. That does not make him a bad person. It is it is him being able to use an ability that just happens to be a dark side ability. That's just and 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 that's just where I'm at on that. If someone can use dark side abilities, it does not make them a Sith. It does not make them a dark side user or a dark Jedi or whatever else you want to call it. It doesn't even make them a gray Jedi. In my opinion, there isn't such an actual thing as gray Jedi because you have to have a mentality behind your reasonings. And you can't to be a great Jedi, you would have to say, I want to control others around me to bring about the the goodness of the galaxy and the light of the galaxy. But the thing is, but the fact of the matter is that if you are still attempting to control people around you while doing that, that just makes you more of a dark side user. So, so anyways, that is the end of my rant on, on, on that and on what it means to be a great Jedi. <laughs> Tune in next time. No, um, that is, that is the end of my rant on that. Um, Elzar man is fantastic. Um, and I thought of this as I was ranting, um, and because I already made the reference anyways, for a Marvel Comics uh, reference, if Stellan Gios is Captain America, then Elzar Man is 100% Spider-Man. And that's why he is a, a 
stronger character in this is because we can connect with him easier because a lot of us have felt similar ways to Elzar Man in certain in certain different aspects, whether it's, you know, being rejected by someone, um, you know, going going back on something that you that you have put your entire life towards, whether it's a, be it an oath or abstinence or whatever. You know, we have we have all been in different situations where we were like, I don't really know where who I am anymore in this in this world or in this case, in this galaxy. And that's why Elzar Man is such an effective character is because we have all felt different aspects of that. Maybe not to the same extent, but different aspects of that throughout our throughout our lives. No, Uh, no, I like that. I like that. um, That great Jedi rant. He's very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, and like I vibe with the um, with the comparison as well. You know, um, Iron Man at times has um, um, has deigned to put on the black suit mm. again before. So you know, that's there's some parallels there for sure. So no, no, I don't, um, I don't find that comparison at all. Um, Oh yeah, so like we have Elzar Man, who um, in the understatement of the year um, is going through it in this book. <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, you know, he's still going. Um, and I'll just open it up from here, Jacob. Um, other than Elzar Man, who was your favorite um, Jedi character in this book? Uh, Jedi character, I, I it's it's gonna be it's gonna be Bill Zedifar. I mean, just yeah, I Bill is just such a great character in this. Um, you know, I just, I just, I just love him just so much, and he he has a he has the second hypest moment for me, um, mm. because I really because I really like when he has to. Um, so so you brought up something that I forgot about earlier. Of course, he does get wounded really early on in the book, um, and then he's wounded pretty much throughout the rest of the book. And I, I, I don't know. I know this is a weird, this is a weird thing to harp on as as a compliment, but I like stuff like that. I like where a writer is like, okay, they're going to get wounded, they're going to get hurt, we're going to see the effects of that throughout the rest of the story. Um, it's not going to be just a a magical, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm great. You know, it's not going to be that it is going to be, you know, you are going to see the effects of that throughout the rest of the story. Um, so bell does get wounded and then, it, but, but at the same time, even while wounded, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to leave any of these people to, to be hurt or even die. Um, and so him, tr- him helping people on, Valo or or Valo or Valo or Valo or how, however we're saying it. Um, what do you say? <laughs> however, I mean it's. <laughs> however, you know it's words uh, from Star Wars. It's <laughs> we. <laughs> I haven't listened to the audiobooks yet, so I really don't know. Um, but uh, he is att- him attempting to help people, even though he is hurt, and even through that, and also helping them in different ways because I. Bell, at least in this one, is the perfect representation of, you know, we talked about in the, of what we talked about in, light, in the Light of the Jedi episode, where 
being a Jedi and helping someone is not just pulling out a lightsaber and dueling dueling a Sith or 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 one of the members of the Nile or something. It is literally trying to help people get to safety as whatever way you can, whether it's using the force, whether it's guiding them through like a corridor, which in which case he does in this, or let me rephrase guiding them through a corridor while uh, you are attempting to stop a, two Nihil sharpshooters from shooting at you and, or the other people. Oh, and there's gasoline pouring in as well. Um, mm-hmm. Or fuel or, or what, whatever the equivalency of it, of it is. Um, so, you know, you've got a lot of different things going on with poor Bell there at that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a, he's, he's just great. He's just awesome in this. Yeah, he is great. He, um, uh, we talked about it before we started, um, recording, but, um, um, and I'll go into it here in a bit because like, um, he does half my hypest, um, scene in this book. Um, I'll go into it towards the end of this episode, but um, he does some um, some pretty awesome stuff. Um, I do though. I do have to give a shout out to a character who I think is introduced in this book. He might have shown up uh, before this point in the comics. I'm not sure, but um, Oberlin is introduced. Mm. Um, yeah. Oberlin is a very he's a very cool character. I love everything about Oberlin. I, I do um, too. <laughs> um, Oberlin is introduced and Oberlin essentially is like um a like a Jedi historian. Um essentially is like the best way I can describe him like Jedi historian, Jedi librarian. He keeps like all of the historical like records and artifacts. Um, and things like that uh, with uh, within the Jedi Council, um, uh, but like he's also like a Jedi. He he like has a lightsaber. He's trained in the ways of the Force. Um, I forget what his like race is, what his species is, but it's it's basically just kind of like an Ooh. an an orb of like goo housed in like a space suit. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> That's the he, coolest. It so is. Like, he is an Ugor, by the way. I'm sorry. He is an Ugor. It is U G O R. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Ugor, excellent, excellent. Uh, but um, yeah, he's like, um, I love the idea that um, we talk a little bit about this. If you want to throw back to uh, when we covered um, Charles Soule's run on on uh, the Darth Vader comic. But um, I love the idea that there is a librarian historian, like stereotypically, um, I'm just kind of like a, a studious um, individual mm. in the Jedi order who is still like, has all the powers of a Jedi. That's really cool to me. <laughs> That's really yep. awesome. Um, it goes back to um, another thing that Alan Eos talks about during his early sparring scene, where he's just like, you know, um, the history of like um, the lightsaber duel is a passion of mine, and it's important for Jedi's to have interests, or else they grow complacent. 
And Oberlin took that idea to heart because he's just like, okay, well, my passion is going to be just an encyclopedic knowledge of everything about the Jedi. <laughs> yep. And, um, and it's so cool. I love Oberlin so much. He's such a neat dude. And like, I am, um, I'm definitely one of those people who, um, I'll use Andor um, as an example, the show Andor. Andor is great. Andor's like probably the best Star Wars show. I say that like as much as I love them, Andalorian, but like, holy crap, the writing in Andor is really good. Um, Andor has way too many humans in it. It's the only thing I would change about that show. Sure. I need, I need just like a, I need Andor to walk into a room and there's just like a whole bunch of Ugors in there. <laughs> like just the just the creativity behind the different species and like alien races in the Star Wars world is one of the most interesting things about like the Star Wars universe at large, um, in my opinion. So like whenever there's like a weird kind of alien that pops up, I'm just like, I don't even know anything about this character, but like they're already my favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're so cool. But um um, yeah, so um, uh, he's probably mine, for sure. I love Oberlin. He's the best. Um, now, as we're kind of winding down, uh, before we get to our last two questions, and I know there's a ton of stuff in this book that we haven't even touched. It's there a is. very, very intensely packed book. Um, I think, honestly, I think the High Republic books are, like, one of the – easiest ways to jump in to like star wars expanded new stuff because like they're so action-packed that they go by so fast and they're so easy oh, yeah um so like even if you aren't like super into reading um in general like um uh, they go by so fast both as audiobooks and as like um visual reading as well so um highly highly recommended there but um, as we wind down, I do want to talk about the end of the book because um, I, I don't because <laughs> because Kevin Scott um, very much follows suit as um, Charles Soule and Out of the Jedi, where they're just like, okay, the last like forty to fifty pages of this book are going to be insane. Yeah. There's yeah. going to be so much that happens, and then, like, it's going to just, like, slap people in the face. Because that's exactly what happens with the Rising Storm. Um, I kind of break up uh, the on the chaos of the ending of this book into two main things. And that is, appropriately, what happens with the High Hill and what happens with the Jedi. So um, let's talk about the Night Hill first. Um, the the military coup of Arshan Rowe that has been teased mm -hmm. since we first heard one of the Night Hill talk in Light of the Jedi. <laughs> um, this was the most this was the most telegraphed thing I've ever read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Nihil coup of Marshawn Rowe happens. Um, 
or Nadine and um, and Ata form an alliance. They're just like, we're going to kill Marshawn Rowe. If we have to, we're going to kill Zetar, which kind of made me sad because Zetar is just happy to be there. Um, he's, <laughs> he, he's just happy to be included. <laughs> but we're going to kill Marshawn Rowe. We're going to kill Zetar if we have to. We're going to take over the Night Hill and we're going to make sure we all get what is owed to us. Because their whole thing is that like we're tired of being bossed around by Marshawn Rowe. We're tired of him taking his cut when all he does is like is give us the paths um eventually or like i'm sorry the opposite of the word eventually very quickly we find out <laughs> that um <laughs> that uh, the tempest runners are starting to figure out what's going on with the paths um as far as um as far as the utterly um echo goes that marshawn Rowe has um and so they're just like, we're going to turn this around and we're still going to be the Night Hill, still going to have the pass, and we're going to kill Marshawn Rowe. Um, and that's their plan. Jacob, how, in your opinion, in your esteem, how would you rate the accuracy of how coups usually go by inept people? Um, with the night with the attempted Night Hill coup of Marshawn Rowe, how how true to form would you say it probably was? Um, very. I would say I, I would say ten out of ten. Um, particularly because I like I think my favorite part is that like um, <laughs> I think my favorite part is that when it goes poorly. Lorna's just like, yeah, no, I'm done. Never mind. This this wasn't this was not the smarter of the two was was like, this is not the best idea. I'm just gonna leave Pan just to just to die alone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, that's which is what happened which doesn't really work out overtly well for her, at least in this part, but uh but all the same, you know it, it works better than it does for Pan Ada. I know that. <laughs> mm. It sure does. It it's one of those it's one of those things that um, where it's a perfect kind of crash. Um, I'm a I'm a perfect kind of collision course. Um, this coup is uh, between um, how you so aptly put or Sean Rowe the man who like always has a plan and, and and Ada who at the beginning of the book openly threatens to kill Marshawn Rowe <laughs> is stopped by like um, uh, um, a trap that uh, Marshawn has, has set for him with the helmet um, that goes off and then after that happens, um, Panada says, "You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna betray him, and I'm gonna make it a surprise." Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna shock Marshawn Rowe and betray him, the man I threatened to kill earlier this week. 
Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so incredible because I don't know about you, but like when I was reading this, I kind of laughed as things were starting to get in swing because I was just like, there is, there is no chance in hell that this works. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way he's going to get the better of him. Like there's, that's not going to happen. And so like, uh, well, in some cases uh, that could have led to like uh, being kind of like unentertaining because they're just like, okay, I know what's going to happen. I know the beats that are coming and stuff like that. Like, it was just kind of amusing because Pan Ada's plan just so quickly falls apart. Like, <laughs> like um, that it's, it's so wild. And not only that, like, everything that, like, could go right for Arshon Rowe at this stage of the game absolutely does. Like... <laughs> And Ada, like, attempts this coup. Arshan Rowe is just like, I don't think so, Scooter. Um, <laughs> Orna D gets, like, captured by the Jedi. And um, Avar Chris is just like, we found the leader of the Night Hill. And Arshan Rowe is just like, whew, don't have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> Arshan Rowe is just like, you sure did. Good job. <laughs> And then just leaves. And then um, the would-be escape and liberation attempt done on the Nihil base goes so poorly that not only is Marshawn Rowe and most of the Nihil able to escape, now the Jedi are terrified of them. Like, it goes <laughs> as well for Marshawn Rowe as it possibly could. Um, it, it is very much, as you said earlier, it, it's very, like, um, it's very reminiscent of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Like, um, things could not have gone better for Arshan Rowe if, like, the attack on Valos had worked and just uh, on ahead and killed all the Jedi there. Like, that's the only way it could have gone better for him. Um <laughs> uh, um, so that part was great. That part was honestly just really entertaining to read. Um, and then we get to a part that was not so entertaining to read, where um, the creature known as the Eveler is introduced in full. Um, and so um, several of the Jedi have figured out, okay, we know where the Nihil base is. We know probably where Odin Great uh, Storm is being held. Um, if he's alive still, so we're going to go, we're going to rescue him, we're going to take the fight to the Night Hill. It's going to be great. Everything is going to work out. It's going to be awesome. And Jacob, how does that go for them? Um, we'll go, we'll just say not great. Mm. Um. I mean, they, you know, they capture Lorna, Lorna D, and so, I mean, that that part's great. The, of course, the problem is that they think she's the eye of the storm. They think she is the head of the Nile, um, which basically is, which, once again, Marshawn Rowe is just in the corner, just like, well, two birds, one stone right there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> because now he can just act in secret the entire time while they think they have the leader of the Nile. Um but of course, like they they take they take out like they they take out a lot of people on Grizzle, which uh, which is the planet that uh, 
the uh, the Nile are basically stationed on at the time, and um, which is okay because it was not done in anger, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's no, fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, it's not done in anger, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, re- revenge is okay if you if you say it's not done in anger. Um, <laughs> which once again, sure. I, I the the Nile have done more than enough to deserve everything that's coming to them at this point, but you know, um, but you know, like un- unfortunately, I mean, of course, the the whole thing leads to you know they <sighs> Bell finds Loden, his former master, who has had his uh, who's already having a rough time as it is. He had his lekus chopped off with his which. Leku, for you, if for those of you who don't know, are the like tentacles on the top of their head. Um, uh, he's of uh, the Twi'leks, excuse me. Uh, Aelis Sakura, Biff Fortuna, uh, take take your pick. Um, Hera, Hera, yes, thank you. Excuse me. I I was like, there's a third one who is very famous that I'm missing. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Yes, Hera. Um, soon to be played by Mar- by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. By the way, I don't know if you saw that or not, Al. I did, I did. Yeah. I think she'll do great. Yeah. I, I, I do too. I think, I think that's good casting. I, I, I think it is. Uh, yeah, re- really excited for the Ahsoka show. Anyways, um, excuse me. Um, yeah, he has had his lekus uh, chopped off, which I think sounds horrible. Um, and uh, yeah, that that just sounds awful. Um, he has also had, like, he's been tortured for, uh, I mean, like, like we said, this this takes place in between a year uh, from the light of the Jedi. Um, he's been tortured all that time. Um, and then he has to see what is a glimpse of what is called, the what, what Al mentioned is called the Leveler, which is a uh, special... Um, a special, uh, not deviation, but uh, I guess a special variant or a special version of uh, a group called the Nameless, which are, uh, I think the actual name that they have, it's like Shri, Shri Karai or something like that, translates into Eaters of the Force. Um, they, not only can you not use the Force around them, their entire thing is destroying force users. Um, and I don't know if that transfers from dark side or light side. I think I, I, I don't think they care. I, I think, I think they are, they are feral animals whose entire purpose is to, is to take down every, every bit of force of, of the force users. Um, and we see how that works. Uh, unfortunately in this book, because Bell gets Loden back, and you're like, okay, Loden's back, he's hurt, but you know now we'll get to see like his grand return in the third book. Um, we don't, um, because there's a point where they're trying to, they're trying to stop. Uh, uh, it's Lorna D. Is actually yeah, Lorna D. Is trying to escape, yep. and they're trying to stop her because they don't know that there's a greater force outside the planet, and. Uh, because Stellan is the one who ends up capturing her, if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, as they're doing that, Marshawn Rose sends the leveler out. And the leveler, somehow Bell gets away. 
I can't remember exactly how they say it. Something because because even he describes it as like this weird cloud, um, which is a trait of the nameless. They they you never really know exactly what they look like, um, which is also terrifying. Um, but basically, Bell has no idea what's going on. He is disoriented and about, you know, and further away, his master is being what is called calcified, which I had never heard of that term. Um, I didn't know that that could happen to a person. Um, it's, it's, it's horrifying. I don't like it. Um, calcified basically means that their entire body is like basically just like bled dry pretty much and they turn to dust and they turn to they, they just turn to like this like husk of a creature and uh so much so that when Stellan Gios gets there um and he sees what 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 it is um or he sees what uh, he sees Loden and he says he at first he can't even tell what it is and until he really looks close, that's when he realizes to his horror what it is. Um, while this is happening, Bell is sobbing about 10 feet away. And Elzar is literally losing his mind because every vi- – because, well, really, the first half of the visions that he was having are happening about 20 feet away from him. And uh, I think the quote is they is we can't stop them. Um, because the leveler is going to take, because you can't use the force against them. You can't use the force around them. And they are literally force hunters, basically. Um, they are utterly terrifying. It's probably one of the, one of the greatest, like antagonistic forces created in the Star Wars universe beyond the Sith itself. Um, and in my opinion. And I know a lot of people are like, oh man, no, it's, it's the Yuuzhan Vong and it's, it's Thrawn, you know, no. I <clears throat> nothing against the creepy insect people and and to quote Josh, sexy blue Tarkin. Um, but the uh, the leveler, the leveler and the nameless themselves, like there there is not going to be a point where they are on the page where I'm going to feel at ease, um, which is which makes the fallen star, the following book, utterly terrifying. Not trying to spoil too much there, but uh yeah, it's uh the leveler's the worst and uh and I hate it. Um yeah, there was something else I was going to mention about it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head, so we're just going to leave it at that. Um yeah. Yeah, um yeah. I mean, it's the leveler is it's teased in the book very early on. Mm-hmm. Because very early on during the Arshon Rowe chapters, we see that Arshon Rowe is traveling to this old, weird temple, uh, and he's brought a new ally with him who who isn't a Jedi, who isn't really a Force user, but um, they're Force-sensitive. And so um, it kind of reminds me for anybody who has read these books, uh, um, the character kind of reminds me of um, the Pathfinders in um, the Thrones Tendency books uh, because uh, they primarily use their Force sensitivity 
to like navigate space and like avoid like um, attacks or avoid like obstacles and in hyperspace and things like that. But um, that's cool. Um, he takes this force sensitive person with him, and um, you find out uh, by the end of that section of the book that the whole reason that Roe took this new ally with him is because he needed somebody who had a connection to the force to be exposed to the Hethler to see if, if like the stories about them were true. And he finds out that they are. And when you get to the end of the book where uh, the Leveler is described, it's almost like a almost like kind of Craftian, like Eldritch Horror kind of description of the creature. Yeah. Because to read you, I can, um, an excerpt from the book on everybody. Here we go. Mm. This is my audiobook voice. Oh, yes, uh, <clears throat> of course. Um, it is um, described as it was th- thicker than any war cloud and denser than any fog, and there were teeth inside teeth and claws and eyes and death. So many eyes. <laughs> like, it sounds absolutely <laughs> horrifying. Teeth, there were teeth inside and so many eyes. And so many someone eyes. someone coming up to you and just saying that. You're not <laughs> to sleep for a week. Like, like <laughs> it's horrifying. And, um, and it's accented by uh, the end of that um, same paragraph in the book as it describes Bell after having had this encounter with it. And it ends with just simply saying, all he could do was scream and scream and scream. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it like, I haven't really read anything by Kevin Scott outside of his Star Wars stuff. I need to research um, like his bibliography a bit more because I kind of hope he writes like horror novels because it feels like he has a talent for that. Like his ability to convey just the absolute horror and hopelessness that is accomplished um, by these things um, is just out of this world. And, and like, and again, like that's how he ends the book. He ends yep. it with that's the, our, that's the finale. Like, yeah. like he ends it with like her fifteen-year-old hero just screaming and screaming and screaming <laughs> because he's <laughs> because he can't feel the force and he just watched like his father figure disintegrate. Like that is how he ends the book. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I sound horrified by laughing, but it's it's the way you mentioned that is kind of funny. Um, yeah, that's how he ends it. And like, <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, small spoiler alert for Fallen Star, it gets worse. Like, yeah, yeah, it really does. <laughs> it really does, which um, um, it brings me to my final point uh, before we get in to um, our famous final two questions, which, um, which is simply um, to you, Jacob, is the overall tone of the High Republic books, especially the Rising Storm. Um, I'm in on the star, of course, even though we haven't gotten there yet on the show. Mm. Is the overall tone of the High Republic books like 
in your opinion, is it a little bit too much? So for me, um, and by the way, remind me of something here in just a second, uh, something I just thought about for the few, for future books um, going forward in the higher public. Um, for me, for me, it isn't. Um, and, and here's why. So the thing is, is that we, at the light of, when we see the light of the Jedi, the entire point is seeing them at the height of their power, seeing them being exactly what they should be. And what happens following it in, in both this book and in Fallen Star is when that power is challenged and when it's challenged by something and someone that has that is patient that has waited a long time to enact this plan for whatever reason um and someone who is who most terrifyingly of all bears the conviction that this needs to happen um i mean everything everything about marshawn roe and the nile is is really is is utterly terrifying you know and then you add the leveler to it and it gets even worse um for me it's not too much strictly because you have because you have such strong hopeful characters and i think it also i don't know i i i think if it came out at any other time i would say yes or i would say i didn't enjoy it as much but considering I read the first one, the first one came out in January 2021. Um, so the first one came out, and I think I read it probably a month or two after it came out. So you got to think, at that point, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, they have been through the pandemic. It does not matter. That that was the thing about the, the pandemic was the leveler for all of us when it comes right down to it, and from, a, from a moral standpoint, or from a, excuse me, a mental standpoint, because it doesn't matter how rich you were. It doesn't matter what your walk of life was. You witnessed the pandemic or you experienced it in one way or another. Okay. Um, and so going through something like that and then reading a book that showcases, at least at the start, your heroes at the height of their power and then that power being challenged and that power being challenged by something that they themselves do not understand it hits a bit closer to home than I think they originally intended when they wrote it. But I think because of that, they have run with it. And I think that's why it works so well. And I think that if you didn't have, if you didn't have at least for phase one, and I, I forgive me, I don't know everyone on the phase two team, but at least for phase one, if you didn't have five of the best, like modern fantasy sci-fi writers doing this stuff right now, I do not think this would work. If you did not have Daniel Jose Older, Justina Ireland, Claudia Gray, Charles Soule, and Kevin Scott, and all the behind-the-scenes people working to make this the best they could, I do not think this would work. It is a it is a system that much much like the Jedi, um, if one aspect of it is off, it's not going to work. But for me, these books do. Um, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's not so much about your tone or about how much you struggle in something. 
it's about how many times you're willing to get back up and attempt to keep going forward. Um, that's that's my big that honestly that's my biggest issue with the end of the third book, which I don't want to spoil anything yet. But at the end of the third book, I don't know how they keep going. At the end of the third book, I don't know what's going to happen in phase three, because of course, for those of you who do not know, um, the ending of Fallen Star is the last part of phase one. And then we go back, I think, 200 years prior, if I remember correctly, maybe a little bit less than that. Well, yeah, it's got to be a little bit less than that because Porter Engel is still in phase two. Um, But anyways, we go back a bit further in the time in the time period. Um, So Elzar Mann, Stellan Gios, uh, Avar Chris. Bells at afar, any of those, all, none of those guys are either, either they're not born yet or they're really, really young. One of the two. Um, so we don't know of anything that was really what's going on. My assumption and what Al has kind of alluded to with the, with the history of the Roe family and the, uh, the leveler and everything like that. My assumption is that everything in phase two is going to set, is going to explain and set up what's happening in phase three. They did what I call the, uh, the kingdom hearts planning. Uh, if you will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been zero days since Jacob. Uh, <laughs> you have to insult them, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, in, in all honesty, I, I mean, it's it's you could honestly look at it the same way you look at the at the three Star Wars trilogies themselves, because it, it what it looks like is it's looking back to the prequels and everything that's happening in the prequels in a lot of ways sets up a lot of the stuff that happens in the sequels anyways. Um, so no, I mean, it's for me to answer your question, just at its core, of course, Lord knows I always go on rants and I apologize about that. Um, overall though, it, the, the tone is not too much or too heavy for me because to me, that's, that makes these characters strong and it makes them work. Uh, it makes, it makes their, the complexities that they show and their characterizations even even better, in my opinion. Oh, gotcha. I think that's a very good answer. It um, this book in particular, it um, it strikes me very similarly to the way that um, the way that Empire Strikes Back is, um, mm. because Empire Strikes Back ends on a on a very very rough note. I mean, Luke is is without a hand. Um, he's <laughs> um, yeah. he's without a hand. He's without a hand, if you will. Um, mm. Both fronts, yeah. Um, on both fronts, um, uh, like um, Han is being sent to Abba the Hut. Like um, Darth Vader is now like obsessed with hitting Luke. Like. The Emperor is alive, which is always a bad day. Like it's, <laughs> it ends on a rough note, and I um, mean this one does as well. Um, so it's very interesting that like it's a similar kind of callback because it does kind of um, suggest an Empire Strikes Back take on it, in that you know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and. Um, the funny thing is, and like, of course, it's not something that you can appreciate if you haven't read ahead a little bit, um, in that, like, um, it doesn't seem like it's going to get better anytime soon, is the 
is the part of it. But um, uh, no, it's really interesting. I think it's a very, very old direction to take uh, this area of like the new canon. Um, I think it was very, um, very brave of them to just be like, hey, we're going to show the High Republic. We're going to show the Jedi at the height of their power, and they're going to lose a lot. Um, I thought that was a, like a very brave way to kind of tackle on this project within the universe. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting way to go about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, everybody, we have reached the part of our show where we answer... The same two questions every episode, where uh, one of those is we just simply have fun with it. We ask, what is your hypest part of what we just, um, in this case, read? Um, and two, uh, does this little adventure fit into your grand canon? I feel like there won't be as much intrigue with the grand canon uh, question this time around since we've already um, have talked about Hide of the Jedi and how it, um, it makes a cut there. But uh, let's begin with our hypest. Uh, Jacob, you alluded to your second hypest scene, but what's your hypest part of um, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott? Um, so here's the thing. Avatar, The Way of Water just came out. <laughs> the Way of Water did just come out. And boy, uh, is it a movie. It is a movie. Of all, um, of all the I, movies that have come out, Avatar The Way of Water is one of them. I, I, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't really intend to see it. I, I, I'm going to level with you. Um, or leveler with you, if you will. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. Um, but, but the primary reason for that is because I didn't necessarily enjoy the first one. However, there was one central thing that I did enjoy in the first one. And and I think even James Cameron as a as a filmmaker knew knew this because there is a random point for about, I'd say, 20 to 25 minutes where there's very little dialogue and there's just people flying on basically dragons mm -hmm. just in the middle or, or pterodactyls or whatever you want to call them, basically mm -hmm. in the middle of this movie, um, uh, basically about environment, environmentalism. Um, and I guess that is kind of what the Avatar movies are about. That's kind of what they're going for, I, I think. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I don't know. Um, Only kind of. But anyway, go on. Kind of. Um, but while that's happening, like, even even me as someone who was like, I just don't really care about this movie. Even I'm like, okay, that part's cool. So imagine that you take a franchise that I love already. Such as, you know, oh, I don't know, Star Wars. Ooh. And then all of a sudden, you add dragons to that world. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember what they're called, and I apologize about that. Um, but, what? Um, but like you, like you had already talked about earlier, um, there is a point where this zoo that is on Valho... Uh, breaks out and and all these different creatures escape and one of them is apparently a native to Valo that then calls to like these bigger things which are like I said basically giant dragons and there is a point where 
Elzar Man is riding a dragon while using a lightsaber to cut down Nihil ships. That is one of the coolest things. Everything about that sentence, everything about that thought process, <laughs> like there, there, there are no arguments to to is that cool or not, in my opinion. Um because you 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 take Star Wars, you add dragons, all right, boom. You it it doesn't matter what you do with it. Um that that's great. It's just it's perfect. Um and yes, I know someone's gonna be like, well, what about the crate dragon? They already had dragons. Okay, it's different and you know it. Like <laughs> just just you know, it's it's different. Um so so yeah, so so yes, El Elzar and Ty flying the the dragon like creatures. Which I am going to look up what those are called right now. Um, but yes, that is my hypest moment um, of the of the book. For sure, it's a good choice. It's a very good choice. I mean, y'all, here's a here's a small tip um, to anybody out there who's listening to this, who is a writer yourself. Um, I don't care what the setting or the content of your story is okay mm. the story that you are telling is always going to be improved if you add dragons to it it's fair it and really I is don't, like i don't even i don't even i'm trying to think of my favorite stories that like don't have dragons in them to see if that's like false for them like i mean there's like the Godfather, that would be way improved if there were dragons. <laughs> way improved with dragons. Like, Great, <laughs> Great no... Gatsby would be so much better with dragons, man. Exactly, exactly. Like, oh my gosh, there's no way. Um, but anyway, um, uh, that being said, now uh, it was a very good pick. Uh, mine is, um, I believe that's, um, I believe my hypest scene, I think is the scene that you alluded um, to earlier um, as like your second hypest. But very early on in the book, uh, before we even get to the Republic Fair, there is a shipyard where one of the, like the new state-of-the-art cutting-edge um, ships is that Belzedifar, Ember the Charhound, and Indira Stokes goes and collects and escorts to the Republic Fair. And the Nihil attack that shipyard. And um, and Belzedifar goes out. He's he's in his starfighter. He's sh shooting a bunch of Nihil ships. He's having the age old debate of just like it sure is fun to kill these pirates, uh, but also man, I shouldn't have fun <laughs> killing these pirates. I'm a Jedi. Um, and then the one of I forget what they're called, but like the War Cloud, I think it's called. One of the very large high hill ships shoots out a space harpoon, which don't even ask me how those work in space, but <laughs> it shoots out a space harpoon <laughs> right, right into Belzedifar's ship. And it like just like um, runs him through, goes right through his gut, right? And Zedifar is just like, well, I guess I'm going to die now, which is fair. I would have that attitude as well if that happened to me. <laughs> um, but then he um, he realizes it's actually a great um, scene for like um, uh, for his character development as well because the thought he has 
and the sequence of events for him is that he begins to see the light of the force as if he's about to die and be alone with the force and his thoughts about it are not like i have to stay here and and kill more nihil i have to get revenge or anything like that his thoughts is simply i feel like i have so much or to give to the jedi um so like i don't think i'm ready to go yet and so ember on the charhound um like picks at his face and barks and like it pulls him back and grounds him and belzedifar with a harpoon sticking out of his stomach um is able to use the force to detect where the main power cell of the of the warship the Nihil have is shoot it blow up the ship killing probably like 200 Nihil and then use the force to pull the harpoon out of himself and out of his starfighter to then use it to brush away the scavenger droids that are attacking his master ship and he does all of this having just been stabbed with a harpoon (laughs) it's so it's so wild it's so like it's so just like ah call an ambulance but not for me but not for me (laughs) (laughs) oh it's incredible it's super cool i would love to see that um i'm adapted elective film or something because i can just imagine like the environment like in the movie theater when that happens especially for people who haven't read the book and they just see one of their favorite characters get like just like impaled by a harpoon and then just like still do the cool stuff he does um that was really cool i think that was mine but um now that being said we have reached the end to which i ask you jacob hardesty are you going to shock the world and tell me that uh rising storm does not fit into your grand canon of star wars timelines well, one remember I do have one more thing I do want to add, but uh, yes, yes, no, but no, I'm 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 not. I mean, it's it's the, this this book's fantastic. I mean, even if you, it's it's one of those. It's it's for me, it's up there with uh, with Lost Stars in the sense of it's not just a good Star Wars book. It's just a good book in general, um, because it's Star Wars does help it a little bit, obviously, because you know you Star Wars is a very rich uh, and vibrant um lore and world to to go through um and it does have sand vowels by the way it's it's like sandals but with a v and those are the dragon things um okay sand vowels um and i love them and i want one and i need them in in more of my star wars stuff um but uh yeah it's it's definitely part of my grand canon there there's no way around it so yeah very good very good yeah um it is a part of mine as well um i mean like uh, y'all the higher public stuff has just been so good i don't think i've enjoyed like almost anything else as far as like a series of books go as i have the higher public stuff um it's just great has a lot to the lore um and it's just a whole lot of fun um um, i will say uh, uh because i came across this little while ago and was trying to figure out how to fit this into the podcast so um i'm going to go ahead and add it in right here Mm. but um i was rereading the part of the book 
where else our man um, taps into the dark side and sends um, the force lightning at the high hill ship. Mm-hmm. And um, right after he does that, it switches the um, the reading perspective to Indira Stokes uh, because she is about to be shot by the high hill ship. And she sees it blow up from the force lightning. <laughs> and she has the thought of just like, um, of just like, uh, well, whatever horse user was able to do that, like they had to have tapped into the dark side and they'll, uh, they have a long like battle and struggle ahead of them, which is fine. That's a very good, like in character thought to have. Sure. I don't have a problem with that line, but man, what if like say I'm in Deer Stokes, I'm flying about, I'm, I'm capping a bunch of high hill starfighters. I'm about to get taken out. I see purple lightning bolts come out of the fray and destroy the Nihil ship that's about to take me out. My first thought in that situation is, oh my god, they have Sith. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. This is this just got so much worse than I thought it was. <laughs> right, it's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> it's like that scene towards the end of Attack of the Clones where Obi Wan has gone to confront Count Dooku, and Count Dooku like shoots Force lightning at him, and Obi Wan just like casually blocks it and catches it with his lightsaber. And on the outside, he's just like, "You should not have come here, Count Dooku. I'm going. I'm going to fight you now and show you the error of the ways." When in reality, in on the inside, Obi Wan was going like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> <laughs> what? Whoa! No way! He just shot lightning at me. No one's done that for a thousand years. <laughs> but. I just really enjoyed that little tidbit. I thought I'd share. But, Jacob, please share with us the thing you thought of. I, I wish both of those things actually happened. I really do. Um, man, that's great. Um, no, okay. So so what, one last thing before we go, basically, about, about this book. Because I'm wondering if it's going to take effect more into into later books because it'd be weird for them to set it up at this point it's like a Chekhov's gun thing so ty york her the first part of her storyline is she is basically she is escorting these two this person uh who has a specialty a special weapon right um, a special device that can that is basically for all intents and purposes a massive EMP or ion burst that that is able to shut everything off, including, and this is important because nothing else can do this in the, in the galaxy, at least to the best of my knowledge. Currently, uh, it can shut off lightsabers. Okay. Full charge doesn't matter because it can shut off lightsabers. Unless I am forgetting a, a point in the story in the third book that is not brought up again. And the thing is, is that I remember reading that because we, you get hints at what the leveler is at the start. And so you know that it is something that is going to attack 
the users of the force in general. In fact, at the end of um um doesn't something he has like a smaller version of her something that he tortures and loaded with, doesn't he? At the I end think of the first so. one? Yeah. I think it's something something to that effect. I think he has like a smaller version of the nameless or something like that. I don't I don't think it's like the uh I don't think it's the one that has claws and smoke and so many eyes, um, like you, like teeth. you were talking about. And teeth was teeth. the operative word. Teeth, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, but the thing is, is that I remember thinking, well, if he's going to figure out how to take away their force abilities, then he takes away their lightsabers too. That's going to be even worse. Um, and. Uh, so, because then they literally have nothing of of the things that they have trained in naturally. Um, here's the thing. Once again, unless I'm forgetting something, that never is brought up again. But, and and Al, correct me if I'm wrong. Do, do you remember it ever being brought up in any of the other books? No, it's weird that it's not, especially because that character does show up again in the third book. But, like... Oh, very long. She's like, oh, okay, excuse me, being held. I like on the remnants of the night elf. Yeah, it isn't like a huge role, but okay. um, she yeah. does show up again in the third book. Okay, so it's weird that that whole thing does not because like, I mean, yeah, you're right. That's like why Ty is even like there. Yeah, is because of that. Um, so no, it's, it's weird. You think it'd come up more. <laughs> Which in, but in fairness, you know, Ty is also not in the third book, unless if, if he is, it's very brief. And, and I mean, Ty's on literally the cover of this, but I don't know if you have the, the same edition I do, but he's on the cover of this book. Yeah. So like my assumption is my assumption is that both of those things are going to come into play in phase three. My, what I think they're going for like from a writing perspective is phase one was the setup of like, this is a new, this is, this is showing you the Jedi at the height of the power. The, this is showing you kind of where the galaxy is at, you know, hyperspace has just now been introduced like less than a hundred years ago. Um, we are dealing with a new force that we are un that is unknown to us. We are dealing with things that has taken away the abilities of the Jedi, and I think that part two is going to suggest how we got there, or phase two is going to t discuss how we got there, sure. and then I think phase three is where like the real crux of the story and everything that they have been working towards is going to come in. Now, obviously, that's also a few years away. We already know, because um, I mean, phase two really just got started, honestly. Um and then I know we have a bunch of other books that are coming out this year. And I think also next year as well, they already have some confirmed. Um, so that's probably like a 2025 thing before we even get there. But all the same, um, I think that's where we're heading with it. I, I, th I think I'd be surprised if it didn't show up ever again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and here's the thing. There's a part of me that I'm like, well, if it ever does, then I know exactly what I'm asking Kevin Scott if I ever meet him. Of just like, was there a bigger plan originally? Because I feel like that is a device that should have a bigger plan, like or, or should have been a bigger part of the story. 
That's like true. you're you're a fantastic writer, book's great. I need to know about this though. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because like really it it definitely seemed like that was going to be a major plot point. Mm-hmm. Um, um because the um, there's even the reveal scene where like um Ty and um her escortee, I forget her name, but um uh, Mantessa, I think. Yeah, um, um, like they're discovered and like, um, she uses a machine and it turns on the lights and it's this whole big thing. And then it's just kind of like, well, there you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's about it. So, um, she gets arrested. That's why Elzar takes her in. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. Um, but yeah, everybody, that brings us to an end on this episode. Uh, we went to... It'll bit longer than usual this time. Not quite, um, you know, there was no, it was no discussion about um, a PlayStation 2 game that a few people uh, I knew you were going to say it. But, um, but uh, no, we packed in some time on this one. So we appreciate um, you all very much um, if you've hung out with us um, all the way to the end. Um, or honestly, just um, any portion at all that you listen to, we really appreciate it. Um, if you would, um, if you would be interested, if you like hearing our voices, if you like some of the things we say, if you like, um, the cuts of our jibs, if you will, Mm. um, then we have a whole bunch of other shows that we're doing as well. Um, for example, just to toss this one out there, I'm super excited. Um, Jacob and, um, uh, Jacob and our brother, Josh are, are bringing back, um, brothers with issues. Yep. Uh, they are uh, uh, wrapping up some old projects as well as starting some brand spanking new ones as well. So um, I'm super excited for that one. We're going to have a whole bunch of shows coming at you here soon. Um, also, if I can also shout out, uh, Jacob also has a um, channel on Twitch called uh, Phantom Correspondence, where um, he has, has really built some really great streams. There's a lot of fun gameplay there, a lot of great discussion um, on those as well that happens in the chat so uh we've got all kinds of things out there for you if you want to enjoy them but um in the meantime we will see you in february for our next episode of star wars eu or eu review jacob did you want to um i'm spoiling the project we're doing on that one or do you want to keep everybody in suspense well here's the thing al i am perfectly fine with us announcing it but here's the thing this was your pick, and I know you're excited, and although I am the one leading it, I want you to be able to tell the people what we are going to be talking about in February. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, so, um, unless you've been hiding under a rock uh, in the last few days, mm-hmm. um, you know that we were just recently blessed with a trailer for a little show called The Mandalorian. Um, and you might be wondering, you know, it seems like there's a whole lot of like stuff that went down with um, Andalore and all that, all that stuff over there. It seems like some things went down. I wonder what that's all about. I wonder what some of the history about on the Mandalorians are. <laughs> well, we have a special project just for you then, because um, in February we are covering um, the Siege of Mandalore. In the Clone Wars, um, specifically um, the last four 
episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars. We are covering that entire four episode arc. Um, Siege of Handalore has a ton of fan favorites as far as characters go. Offers a really interesting look into how um, the Handalorians really got to the state that they're in now um, and upcoming um, um, shows as well. Um, so be on the lookout for that because that is going to be a blast. Um, now, but for now, we are done. So we like to close with just saying um, that fandom is for everyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of, of what you're into, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Um, and then we are a, a place for you to come and share your passion. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing in ours and have a great night.